Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 13 of Cool Story with David J. McNeil. Thanks so much for listening. To quote Bette Midler, you are the wind beneath my wings. Thank you for supporting me. This is a history-making episode. This is the first ever Cool Story with David J. McNeil two-parter. That's right, two parts, one and two. It had to be done because episode 13 features a conversation with Mike Ross, the announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and there was lots to cover. Not long ago, I was chatting with my agent, Jessica Martins, owner-operator of Hero Artists, when she suggested I reach out to Mike, who is also a client of Jessica's. So glad we did connect. As it turns out, we have a lot in common. We grew up in the same town, both went to French schools, and I've worked for a lot of the same people and companies. In part one of my chat with Mike, we chatted about his early days in broadcasting and the tenacity and hard work it took him to land the coveted job of Toronto Maple Leafs announcer. In part two, we discuss what it is like to be one of the very exclusive members of the NHL playoff bubble and the benefits of speaking a second language, in this case, speaking French in Canada. So let's get down to it. Here is part one of my conversation with the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mike Ross. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great, David. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. It's it's great to have you on the show. Uh, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. You're a, you're a busy guy. Yeah, I think um, in my career, when I've done tournament style uh, events like the World Juniors or uh, when I did um, the, uh, the Pan Am Games, I did base, men and women's baseball for Pan Am Games. Those were a lot of games crammed into just a few days, but there's never done anything like this where um, at last count, I announced 30, 30 games in 36 days, um, wow. which is not even close to what you do in an NHL season. Like an NHL season, normally we would start with a preseason in uh, September, and that's usually four games, four home games, and then a regular season of 40, 41 games. Yes, 41 games. So you get 45 games for sure. And mm-hmm. then, you know, then you get whatever the playoffs end up throwing at you. But 45 games for sure. Um, but that's spaced out from September yeah. to April, right? Not, yeah. And certainly not in... Uh, in July, August, and into September, which has been kind of interesting. Yeah. And although I must say, it's been one of the coolest uh, temperature-wise summers I've ever endured. It's always nice to <laughs> walk from that. thirty-seven degrees uh, outside on Bay Street and walk into the arena and go, "Ah, that's that's comfortable. Yeah. That's nice." <laughs> uh, you're an Ottawa guy. I'm an Ottawa guy as well. I'm almost surprised that we didn't bump into each other over the years. Yeah, I mean, but, given uh, the, you know, it's a small world, isn't it? Like the, the what yeah. we do, um, and, and it doesn't really matter if you're uh, TV, radio, at the voice work. At some point, you, we seem to intersect somewhere, but but nothing until now, which is kind of cool. 
Yeah, it's I, you know what I think it is is I'm three years older than you, and I left in in '95 uh, at the age of 25, and even at that age, you're always hanging out with your peers. Yeah, being three years difference is like being 50, 15 years <laughs> <laughs> difference in age, right? At that age, still true. Um, so, uh, but uh, so you started uh, you started your career in Ottawa, and that all started, uh, I guess, with uh, going to an art school where you. You got sort of the bug, right? Yeah. Is that how it started? I mean, I'd never, ever really thought of uh, broadcasting as a career, ever. Um, So, I mean, when I was in high school, it's just something that I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed performing. Um, I was in the music program. Um, This was at uh, Dedasan High School. And Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I... played some musical instruments. I was in the the school band and then I got involved. I mean, I was involved in all kinds of sports and and clubs and committees, but then I got involved with a a comedy troupe. And once I sort of got comfortable with, because I I wasn't always comfortable with public speaking. Um, It it took, get it basically into my, probably my second or third year of high school to be really comfortable with it. But once I did, like, then it just took off. Then I was involved in all kinds of stage shows and, and certainly then getting in on the morning announcements. And um, we had a principal who was really, he was really cool about um, sort of handing off certain responsibilities like that. Right. So if you had a, if your sports team had a, a game on, you know, on a Friday night or whatever, you were welcome to come and make the announcement in the morning um, and, and, and talk over the, uh, the school intercom system. And that's where it sort of started for me. And then from there, we developed a school radio station that would play tunes and stuff in the morning nice. and at lunchtime. And yeah, that's where I sort of first got, uh, got the bug. So you got the bug in high school, and what was the next logical step for you? You uh, you went to Carleton University, studied there. Yeah, I went to Carleton. I, my plan was to go to Ottawa, but they, were, they made a clerical error in my uh, in my transcripts. And rather than, I mean, I kind of knew myself that if I didn't take the offer from Carleton, then and took a year off, I don't know where I would have ended up. I mean, in in the end, I I didn't have the maturity level to go to Carleton anyway, but I did. And I was, uh, you know, I was one of those people who was easily a year or two um, ahead of schedule. I should not have gone. I did not have the maturity level to go to university when I went, but I went anyway. And Mm -hmm. and yet I'm super thankful that I did because I was going to school. I was studying psychology. I was going to school to become a teacher. And mm-hmm. in my first year, kind of fell into radio the way I did in, in high school, where, yeah. you know, I'd watched WKRP in Cincinnati and <laughs> I, I listened. I was a huge fan of radio in Ottawa. So, you know, I knew that the, 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 the DJs in town, the announcers, the, the TV personalities sure. and, and that there was sort of an interest in that and, and sort of on on the periphery of it. Um, And so when I heard that the, that the university had a campus community radio station, I thought, Oh, well maybe I could do something with that. So I went in, introduced myself and they said, well, what do you, what do you like? What do you do? And I said, well, I, I like sports. And they said, perfect. We have a sports show. Mondays at noon, show up. 
So I did. CKCU, right? CKCU. And uh, I showed up. I met the producer and the host of uh, a show called Breakaway. Mm -hmm. And uh, from from there, it just like I just started helping on the show. And within about four months, four and a half months, maybe I was the the producer and the host graduated. So I took over and and off I went. And it's it, it was a bit of a pipeline for a lot of people in sports broadcasting that that came before me that came after me um mm-hmm. so i i it, it was a great springboard and, and really opened uh, a, a whole new world for me as far as sports broadcasting went so yeah. so that 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 was when i started realizing hey wait a minute you know i could i could become famous doing this and <laughs> and, and of course it's the same it's the same dream that that young people still come to me with, you know, they want mm-hmm. to get into broadcasting. And, and I tell them, well, if you're, if you're doing it to become famous and become super yeah. rich, uh, number one, yeah. it ain't going to happen. It yeah, ain't going to happen here. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> to get to that. Place Absolutely. Than in broadcasting. Yeah. 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 That's, that's kind of the way, the way it started for me too. I had an opportunity like that. I was going to Ottawa U and they had a TV, a TV station and I ended up working for them and got the bug and then kind of thought, well, I'm going to go in that direction. Yeah. And it's nice. Uh, it's nice to go to schools where you can get that kind of opportunity to, uh, to try all kinds of different things out. It was interesting thing too. I was thinking about this earlier and this is probably somebody you would know. There was a guy in my pro and he was, I don't even know he if he was taking any courses at the University of Ottawa, but he showed up and he wanted to learn how to do broadcasting with the little TV station we had at Ottawa U. And he was a professional athlete. He was a Ken of Rare. Mm. You remember I Ken, Ken. Who played for the, he played, yeah. yeah, he played for the uh, Ottawa Rough Riders. Yeah, we, uh, both, the, we, we both worked at Chum. Team. We both worked at, uh, yeah. at Chum TV and, and I was at Chum well, Radio. He, he got started out doing that. He just uh, he just showed up and he was there with all us kids. And he's like, uh, I just want to learn how and, and go out. And he started doing sports reporting. And uh, I think within about a year, somebody picked him up. You know, I think it was the a other, great opportunity. The other thing about Ottawa, and I mean, I know this has happened in other communities, but um, Rogers Community 22, the TV station mm-hmm. in Ottawa. Um, I mean, I got to do a whole lot of broadcasting with, with them. I did, I did baseball. I did hockey. um, I did some football. Those, that type of opportunity is so much harder to find nowadays because those Mm -hmm. those community radio stations or TV stations rather just um, aren't, uh, uh, aren't as prevalent. And I, I know with my cable system, my cable system is not a Rogers cable system. So it doesn't carry the local, channel so i thought i was just talking to somebody about it the other day and how how unfortunate it is that number one i don't have access to that type of programming anymore because i don't have a rogers box but that also means that there are fewer opportunities for people to get better to to get exposed to that industry where you're volunteering your time, but you are learning so much. Uh, Some of the, some of the biggest names uh, in TV on both sides of the camera got their start in with, with a Rogers community TV station. Well, two of my friends uh, from uh, the Algonquin uh, television broadcasting program, uh, use that as a springboard. One, you know, very well was uh, Tom green. He was in my class Mm -hmm. at uh, 
Algonquin College. He started the Tom Green show at Skyline. At, it was sorry, it wasn't Skyline. It was Rogers 22. Yeah. Uh, the crew was all kids from my class. Uh, he became a big star, of course. And then my buddy, Johnny Hayes. I used to work at the uh, Lynx Stadium uh, when when the Lynx you know, when the, when the Lynx played, uh, it, I think it was, uh, I worked there the year they won the championship. And, um, and my buddy was, uh, worked, uh, did camera work in the outfield and then he began directing and now he tours the world with, uh, Drake and all these big artists producing the in-show video. But you're so right. They, so, those guys so will always you, talk about the start there. What were you doing at that stadium at that time? I was working in the corporate boxes. I was, I was just making money on the side. Right I was serving. to you then. I was in the oh, press yeah. box back then. And then yeah. in, in, in 97, I, well, 96, 97, I started working for the team as well. I started, uh, I started filling in for Gord Breen as the PA announcer. And yeah, then yeah. I ended up working in, in media relations. So, so we, we say that we've never actually crossed paths, but we may have actually physically crossed paths in a hallway somewhere. I'm sure we have. We, <laughs> I, I used to do some stuff over at Rogers 22. We probably passed in the hallway there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is a, it's a small world. And I bet you the more we talk, we know all kinds of people yeah, in common too no in doubt. the industry who, who are, are still in Ottawa or started there. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you about uh, living in Ottawa. So you live, you grew up in Ottawa. You lived a, what, an hour and 10 minutes of drive from, from Montreal. Uh, you lived in Ottawa when uh, when the team got an NHL franchise, the Ottawa Senators. But you're a, uh, a dyed-in-the-wool Toronto Maple Leafs fan. How did that happen? Um, well, like pretty much everything else in my life uh, related to sports, it all happened because of my grandfather. My, uh, my parents, they, they now, um, you know, they like, they like watching the Senators, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not big sports fans by any stretch right. of the imagination. My dad played baseball, um, you know, well into his twenties, but uh, when it comes to following professional sports has no, no interest whatsoever. And yet my grandfather was a huge sports fan. Um, he was a hockey player. He, he played hockey for the Canadian army team. Um, nice. And he actually was a, a Montreal Canadiens fan living in Montreal. And in 1948, went to a Habs game. They were playing the Boston Bruins. And there was a Boston defenseman that made an end-to-end rush and scored a goal. And he, he said, like, he always described it as one of the most beautiful goals he'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so he applauded. He saw a nice play. And even though it was the opposition, he recognized good hockey. Mm-hmm. And somebody, a couple of people were yelling at him to, to pipe down and somebody reached down from behind him and knocked the uh, fedora off his head. And it went flying down the aisle and the usher came up to him and said that that was enough pipe down or you were going to be asked to leave. So essentially you cheer for Montreal before you get out. And he said, no problem. He said, just hand me my hat and you'll never see me again. Wow. And he became a Leafs fan. That was it. He was done with the Montreal Canadiens. He became a a Maple Leafs fan. And thus, when I came along, I grew up literally next in the house next door to him. So 
and there weren't a, a ton of kids in my neighborhood. So he was essentially my best friend. And so my first hockey net, my first hockey stick all came from him. He would play goal for me and we would watch the Leafs on Saturday nights. I'd be over at his place watching Maple Leaf games on Saturday nights. And uh, he, he brought me up on the Leafs. And though, um, you know, eventually when we got a team in Ottawa, um, as, as Ottawans, we, yeah, we were happy to have an NHL team in our market. That's exciting. But we were still Leaf fans. And mm-hmm. uh, and even in the years where I ended up working for um, the senators and covering the senators, um, there, there's that 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 love of the Leafs never ever went ever went away. And uh, yeah. so when 2016 rolled around and the opportunity came up to to go work for the Leafs, it was like my I think my my only my only disappointment about moving uh, into that job with the Maple Leafs was that uh, my grandfather was long gone and, and didn't get an opportunity to, to, to hear me on, on TV on, on a Saturday night from a Leafs game. Yeah. That, what that a, what been a cool. thrill that would yeah. have been for sure. Yeah. yeah. Or being able to come up and sit with you yeah, for a game absolutely, and, yeah. and, and see what it's like from, from, from up high. And that's the thing. Like yeah. he, he, he went to that game in 1948 and he did not go to a live NHL game again until I brought him to see the Senators and the Canucks in November of 1998. 50 mm-hmm. years. Wow. 50 years between live NHL games. And when I brought him to that game to see his face when we walked out into the concourse and then walk out into the bowl and 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 just it was just amazing to to pick his brain and to, to ask him, you know, what was what what his feelings were, what, what kind of things were going through his head about being back in an NHL rink and, and what he remembered from 50 years before. Right. And uh, yeah. And, and I was I'm very lucky. I mean, I, I had some some great experiences through sports with him over the years. We were we were Expos fans. We liked the Blue Jays. We liked the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Ottawa yeah. Rough Riders. Um, and if if not for him, there's no way I'm I'm even remotely interested in sports. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things too, I, I think, and, and I'm sure you'll agree, one of the big traditions in Ottawa growing up was going to 67 games. Mm-hmm. That was a that was just a, a great product and a great team, and loved the coach, and that was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that. I used to do that with my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad. Uh, you know, uh, well, I wouldn't tell you a quick one. Uh, my, my, my dad's dad, my, my grandfather, uh, Reg McNeil, uh, he lived up in Sudbury and he, he said he could never cheer for the, the, the Habs because, uh, he said that the, the fans did something that he, he just couldn't agree with. And that was that they'd boo the team when the team wasn't doing well. Mm. And that did not sit well with him at all. He said, I just, uh, I, he goes, I, I can't, uh, I can't cheer for that team because of the fans. He goes, they got to support the team even when they're down. Wow. <laughs> and yet even today now, players will tell you fans have that absolute right and 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 they don't they they rarely they rarely react in 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 a negative manner when when the fans put that sort of display on right i mean it's when they pull out the paper bags well yeah yeah sure sure. we had a few years of that right and (laughs) and and all the rest yeah it's uh it's certainly um 
different times and and fans uh, fans act differently players act differently there's a different access to them um it's i mean it's it's 50 years and, and for me to have, have seen and, and had heard him express what the big differences were for him over 50 years uh were, was yeah. pretty incredible but man i'm so glad you mentioned the 67s because that was uh, that was a big part of uh, of my life as well and Working as their announcer for three seasons and nice. getting to know some of the guys, but mostly you mentioned Brian Kilray, the the coach. Yeah. Um, my very first year, Brian Kilray always had a, a, a small room across the hall from the dressing room mm-hmm. that was sort of like where he would hold court after the game, and um, so there was a big cooler of beer in this room, and. Brian would have a cigar going, but to to get into that room, really, when I say he was holding court, I mean that's that's what it was. You 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 didn't just walk in there; you had to be invited in. <laughs> sure. And so my first season, probably about two months into it, um, a friend of mine, uh, Howie Mooney, was uh, brought with well, the host of uh, Rogers TV broadcasts of the sixty sevens games, and Howie said. Uh, Hey, you coming coming for a beer? And I said, "What are you kidding me? I haven't been I haven't been invited." He's like, "No, no, no." Mm-hmm. Killer said to 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 ask you if you wanted to come. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So we walk in, and I look around the room, and nobody's looking at me like I'm out of place, which is a great start. Yeah. <laughs> so I casually reach into the cooler and grab a beer, and then I scan the room. How he goes over and grabs a, sp- a seat on one of the benches and I casually just sort of look around the room and there's only one seat left. So it's either stand here awkwardly at the door or go take the seat. Problem was the seat was over in the corner right next to Brian Kilray. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, do I do it? <laughs> well, it's the only seat here. So I guess I will. And I did. And yeah. for the next three seasons on Friday nights and Sunday afternoons, that was my spot post game. And I would just sit there, drink my beer and listen to just some of the greatest stories from the winningest junior hockey coach in junior hockey history, a Hall of Famer. And to this day, uh, you know, whenever I see him, it's just a thrill. I love seeing him. I love talking to him. Uh, But Mm -hmm. for three years, it, it was just it was story time every Friday yeah. and Sunday. And it was, it was that's amazing. Yeah. That's very much, that's, that's, it's, yeah. Gr- you're, uh, you're grabbing your, your seat at the table, eh? yeah. figuratively and literally. And that's Absolutely. what you got to do to, to make it in this career. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta stake your ground. And that's, I mean, that's a big, a big part of what I tell young people who want to get into broadcasting now that you can't just wait for something necessary to come to you. Um, you know, in that case, I got invited, but once I was in there, I had to make my, I had to make my, my spot. I had to, to assert mm-hmm. myself. Um, but I find that with broadcasting, there, there are many instances where you have to, you have to have the initiative. You have to try and make some of your own breaks. And if, yeah. if you just sit and wait, not a lot of come, not a lot of things come to those who just sit and wait. Yeah. 
you have to almost a lot of times you have to create the job you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's you a know? great, that's a great way of putting it. Um, and that's, that's what happened with me. I mean, in, in, in 2015, when I knew that the, uh, or 2014 rather, I knew that the uh, Maple Leafs were going to be co-hosting the world junior championship. And I knew that they, they always had, when, when those, when that tournament was held in Canada, they always hired an English announcer and a French announcer in arena. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, I can do both. And I thought, Hmm, I wonder if they're holding auditions. So I sent an email to hockey Canada got an audition, got the job, and suddenly I'm getting a paycheck from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And without really giving it much thought, basically planting a seed in the minds of a couple of people there. So mm-hmm. that two years later, when the Maple Leafs announcing job came up, I was one of the 22 people who got invited to audition for that. So... You know, I, I've often told folks that that the Leafs gig really started as a Hockey Canada gig. And why? Because yeah. I picked up the phone, called Hockey Canada, and, and basically created my an opportunity for myself that if I just sat back and waited for a job to be posted, it never would have happened. Yeah, never, for never sure. Never would have happened. No. Yeah. So, so you were a known entity then, uh, for yeah. having done that, uh, that tournament to, to be able to, uh, step in and, and, uh, be recognized when, um, when they started looking for somebody to uh, replace Andy Frost. I'll tell you a funny thing. I had, uh, I tried to get in to the room, <laughs> but I did not, <laughs> I didn't have the sports chops or anything. I was like, okay, well, I've got, I've got the voice and I'm a sport, I'm a hockey fan and all that kind of stuff. But, but I didn't have any of the chops that you've got or the pedigree from having spent a lot of time. I'm, you know, doing it for other teams and right. that sort of thing. I was just like, my attitude's always like, if I can get in the room, I might not get this gig, but I might, there might be something else that they can see me doing, you know, sure. for MLSE or whatever. I wasn't able to get into the room on that one, but uh, that's, that's funny. That's my little story about that. <laughs> I was not one, I was not one of the 22 people they saw, <laughs> but I'm glad you were. So tell me a bit more about wh- how that happened. So you, uh, uh, did you go uh, through your agent? Did you, wh- what did you do? Uh, did you I, sh- I, talk to people who are already there? I didn't have an agent, actually. Um, you know, the, the, the whole reason that you and I have been able to connect here is because I have an agent now. Um, yes. I've gone all these Our years. Agent, Jessica Martins. That's right. And all these years, I've, uh, I haven't had an agent. I just sort of moved along from job to job and um in the last few years have tried um i've picked up a little bit of voice work here and there but i thought in order to to really be serious about it uh, i needed to work with someone who who knows the business has the contacts and and so i i connected with uh with Jessica, but through Martina Ortiz Luis, who uh, is the anthem singer for the Maple Leafs. So that's, that's right. how we made that connection. Um, nice. So with the Leafs gig, when, when the Maple Leafs decided in 2016 that they were going to do sort of a reboot of their game presentation department, new PA announcer, new uh, DJ, new in arena hostess, and host because at the time they had a hostess 
but now mm-hmm. they wanted to go with uh, a, a duo and go with uh, a man and a woman. Um, and they were going to, for the first time in a long time, go with one anthem singer. So yeah. they held a whole bunch of different auditions for those. Um, but nothing, nothing had yet been announced about the PA announcing. And then Andy Frost put out a tweet one, one morning saying that, um, you know, after 17 seasons, his contract wasn't renewed. And so I looked at that and thought, well, okay, I, I got to send somebody a note. I got to talk to somebody about this. So I immediately reached out to the, uh, the game presentation uh, person that I had worked with at the world juniors in 2014. And they had gotten me some other gigs after I did that world juniors for them. Then uh, soccer Canada came along. They were looking for someone to do some announcing for a couple of world cup qualifying games, but they mm-hmm. needed somebody bilingual and Toronto FC, which is an MLSE company, a mm-hmm. team. Um, their announcer wasn't bilingual, but they said, Oh, wait a minute. The, the Leafs had a bilingual guy for the world juniors. Let me, let's reach out to them. And so that opened up another door. And Someone who had heard me at the World Juniors ended up being a friend of a friend who was leading the hiring for the Pan Am Games. And that led to another gig and et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, it's sort of like when it rains, it pours. Mm -hmm. And and so when I'd made this connection with the Leafs through the World Junior Championship, I maintained that connection kind of loosely. And so on the day that Andy's tweet came out, I sent a note to her and said, you know, would love to know what's what, how you guys are going about filling the position. And I mean, at the time, honestly, until the day that I got the call saying I had the job, I don't, I don't think I seriously thought there was any way that I was going to land it. Mm-hmm. Not, not for, not for an, a second. Even um, with all of the experience you've got, yeah, all the years yeah, you've put in, all the sports shows, all the, all, all the announcing you've done for other games and leagues. And the reason why is because when I moved to Toronto in 2000, I moved from Ottawa to Toronto in 2001 um, to help launch uh, sports radio in, uh, well, to launch a national sports radio network. Um, there were no announcing gigs. There were no PA announcing mm-hmm. gigs in Toronto or, or the GTA. So I went nine years not doing any PA announcing for anything. Oh, and, yeah. and in 2010, my old boss from the 67s, who is now with the senators, needed someone to cover off for Stu Schwartz, who was the senator's PA announcer at the time Mm -hmm. and who was going to be away at the Parapan or or the Paralympic games rather in Vancouver. So he said, Hey, how would you like to do three NHL games for us? Right. So, (laughs) and he said, "Um, we've got Washington coming in. Wow. Okay. Ovechkin. That's, that's pretty cool. Nice. Uh, Calgary's coming to town. All right, good Canadian team. And the last one's the Maple Leafs. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, <laughs> you don't have to twist my arm. 
And so I did those three games and then I end up uh, filling in basically every year for the next six seasons for at least a couple of games a year. Um, But even then, because I'd gotten that through a contact of mine and I still hadn't really gotten any, any other gigs, I can't, I can't say that I was super confident about getting a Leafs gig. Um, But I I sent the, the note and got a response immediately and it was probably another week or so, week and a half, that I was told, okay, we're, we're holding auditions, live auditions, uh, by invite only, and we'd like to invite you to come and try out. And mm-hmm. so I made my way down to Scotiabank Arena, Air Canada Centre at the time. Yeah. And it was literally just sort of like a... Uh, a uh, an assembly line of announcers sitting in the lobby downstairs, and then they bring you oh, up. Yeah. And All you, people you, you knew and faces you well, recognize, some, that sort of thing. Yeah, some that I I'd never seen before, some that I I'd seen on TV but didn't know. But I find it interesting that you say that you 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 wanted in on on the room, but didn't have the experience. There were a lot of people there that didn't have that experience. There were people mm-hmm. that I saw there that had no PA announcing experience, but because they were, because they were sports people, television presenters, radio presenters, that, that seemed to, to sort of carry the day for a lot of people. So um, for me, when I walk in there and I see a guy that I've seen, I think I'd seen him on TSN or CHCH at different times. I thought, Oh boy, that guy's got the job if he wants it. He's good looking. Right. He's got a decent voice. He knows sports. <laughs> I don't have any of that. So anyway, the, the it gets around to me. They take you upstairs, and you the the announcer booth is just above is on the same level as the press box, just above press row. Right, and they take me down to this booth. And it turns out that it's the same booth that I auditioned uh, in for the World Juniors. Same spot. Oh, okay. And as I'm about 30 yards away from the door and the previous candidates now walking out towards me, he's leaving. I see someone stick their head out of the door of the booth and it's my contact who leans out and goes, hey, Rossi, nice to see you. Nice. Well, it was for me, but for that poor guy who was walking the other way, like I just saw his face drop, right? Like, oh, that guy's, that that guy's, <laughs> now he's thinking what I was thinking before, which is, oh, pff, that guy's got it now. Did you hear that reaction? I was almost doing handstands yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah. But what a relief for me to see a familiar face, somebody that I'd worked with for, you know, over two and a half, three weeks. And to now know that I'm actually going to sit in front of the mic in the same spot where I've already done an audition. That's right? a huge thing that the room isn't foreign to you. You go in, you know where everything is. You've been there before. Like that's a massive uh, advantage psychologically. And knowing, you know? and knowing in this case, 
what the acoustics were going to be, because now it's, it's not just talking into a microphone with a pair of headphones on. You're talking into a microphone into a huge cavernous building. That, mm-hmm. that audio, that sound is going to bounce everywhere. There's going to be a delay. It can throw you off. So, mm-hmm. so that was a tremendous advantage for me. Um, but went through that. They recorded it. I'm told they cut it down from 22 to five. Mm-hmm. And then they took the audio from those five and asked uh, a bunch of people within the organization to listen to them and to rank them favorite one through five Mm -hmm. and uh, apparently I was in the top two on pretty much every ballot Mm -hmm. and then got called for as one of the two finalists for a one-on-one interview with uh, Brandon Shanahan yeah nice so on a a Friday afternoon (laughs) in August uh, yeah right I I'd never (laughs) I'd never been more nervous for a job interview ever, no matter what. And, um, walked in there. It was, um, probably, probably a good 45 minutes to an hour. And, uh, and I walked out, I came home. I, again, still didn't think like I, I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't believe I'd made it that far. And, and so who knows, but that that was the, the the process, and then it was another another week and a half until I got a call saying that I had and who uh, calls you? got the job. Um, actually, cool story because my parents were visiting from Ottawa that weekend, and I'm sure you know, you know, living away from home, you don't necessarily get to live a lot of those cool moments with your family in that moment. It's often a phone call or an email. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were, um, in, um, uh, just, just South of uh, Port Perry, Ontario. And we were at a little Mm -hmm. country store that my mom loves to go to when she's in town. My wife loves to go to, and they have a nice little sort of cafe there. And we were having lunch. And I pull my phone out of my pocket. And to this day, I almost always have my ringer off and not on vibrate. I don't know why. Like, it's just such an, such an idiot. But I missed a call. And it oh, was yeah. a 416 number. And I went, oh, okay, what's this? So I listened to the voicemail. And it was the manager or the director, rather, of uh, of game presentation, Anton Wright. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, give me a call. And I went, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I probably don't have the job and, you know, they're just calling to let me know. So I better call him back. So I call him back and now I get his voicemail. Mm-hmm. At which point I leave a message, something to the effect <laughs> of my phone's on my ringers on. I'm holding my phone. I won't miss the call. Um, call me back when, when you have an opportunity. And we sat back down at the table, keep eating our lunch. And the phone rings, but I don't notice it. <laughs> and my wife elbows and I'm me. I'm making like, this easy, hey, are you? Hey, look, your phone, your phone. <laughs> so that's when I grabbed it. And it was Anton. And um, he said, hey, listen, I'm just calling about the PA announcing job. Wondering if, you know, if, are, if you're still interested. 
I said, yeah, well, you'd probably have to twist my arm. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, well, we'd like to offer you the job. And I was at this point, I'd left the table. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be disturbing other people. Um, but I'm probably about halfway across the store and my knees sort of just buckle under me. And I look across, <laughs> I look across the room and at my wife and I'm just pumping my fist. And the coolest part of this was the end of the phone call when Anton said, all right, unless you have any other questions for me, we'll talk again on Monday about the details. And I said, no, I said, I have, I said, I don't really have any questions right now. I said, my head's kind of spinning. So I said, we can talk Monday. And he said, okay, perfect. Welcome to the Toronto May police. Nice, nice touch. And that was just, you know, one of one of my favorite movies of all time is The Natural with Robert Redford. Yeah. And when he finally makes it to the New York Knights and tries on his hat and everything else, uh, and the, the equipment guy says, welcome to the mages. <laughs> and that was my welcome to the mages moment. Yeah. He said, welcome to he the big that. show. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And And so did your life change overnight? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, suddenly I, it, it's, it was exactly the way I'd heard other people describe similar situations in their life. All of a sudden you have a whole bunch of new friends that you didn't know you had who were looking for tickets. Yeah. Sure. Which was, which was hilarious. It's like winning the lottery, right? Oh yeah. Huge, <laughs> huge. And especially in this town, right? I mean, every, every Canadian city that has a hockey team, and, and, and every big, you know, American city that has a hockey team, they, they all have rabid fans, right? And, and everybody's looking for a ticket. But when you're talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs, or if you were talking about the Montreal Canadiens, like it, it's, it's a different level. And that's why, that's why I said earlier that even with all the experience I had, under my belt when I auditioned for it. The Maple Leafs, it's a different stage. It is the biggest stage for sports in this country, bar none. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. was that was sort of driven home to me in that I'm only the fourth announcer in team history. And so when my wife and I are chapters about six months ago and I pick up a book on the history of the Leafs and I'm flipping through it and it's talking about the announcers and mentions mm-hmm. a, a red and it mentions Paul Morris and it mentions Andy Frost. And then it shows my name. I was like, <laughs> did the knees buckle again? <laughs> yeah. Right to the cash register where I bought the book on the spot because I'd never seen my name in a book um, on the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, yeah. and suddenly you start flashing back to Saturday nights when I'm nine years old and having my grandpa call my mom and say that he's going to stay and watch the second period mm-hmm. and then call her again. Because if I call her, she's not letting me stay. But if grandpa yeah. calls... I can stay and then calling so I could watch the third period with them. And 
that was, you know, it, it, it's just, you start thinking about those days and sort of laying of the, the foundation of, of fandom for that team. And, mm-hmm. and suddenly to find yourself in, in the position that I was suddenly in, um, it really was, you, you say, you ask if it was an overnight, if there was a difference overnight, there absolutely was. Yeah. Well, you know, what's amazing too, about the, the situation you're in is, is that people go out and they, they, you know, and if you live in Toronto, unless you're wealthy or you work for a company that's got tickets or whatever, you, you're not going to see a lot of games because it's expensive. It's a, it's an expensive product. And so when you go to a game with your family or your friends and you dish out those bucks to get those seats and you buy the New Jersey, you're spending a lot of money and you're investing a lot in that game. And if you watch a great game, if you, if, if, if your f- favorite new player, Austin Matthews scores a big goal and that's like a memory that you're going to hold with you forever. Ever, you also get to hear Mike Ross call the goal and that yeah. sticks in your head and that's part of your memory, right? A really good friend of mine, I mean, I, I did 10 years um, at NHL radio and for almost five of those years, I did a morning show with a guy by the name of Mick Kern, also an Ottawa <laughs> guy, went to Carleton. Um, and when I got the job, Mick said, you know, for a whole new generation of Leaf fans, you're the voice that they're going to associate with that team. Yeah. He said, just as Paul Morris was sort of the soundtrack of your hockey youth, yeah, you're going to be that for them. And and at the time, I, I guess I heard him, but I didn't really it didn't quite sink in and I didn't really give it much more thought but one of the things that we do every uh, every game well not in pandemic anyway um, we have tours that come through before the game mm-hmm. so there are season ticket holders who who are you know win a draw and, and they get to come through and get a behind the scenes tour sometimes they give them away as prizes or auctions and uh, auction items and things like that. And so we meet fans every single game. And when the first couple of times where people said, Oh, can I get my, can I get a picture with you? Or can you sign this for me? And I thought, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't want me to sign that. That's going to devalue it so badly. Don't know. Um, But the real, um, that hey you're in the NHL moment for me and and hey you're you're part of the Maple Leafs organization moment for me came when uh his dad had brought in his son kid was maybe 5 or 6 years old and i sit in a soundproof uh, booth uh up uh, above the press box and so I'll, I will often bring people into the booth and sit them in the chair, set up the mic and, and give them a picture and they get the arena in the background. It's a great shot, pretty, really unique. And so I set the kid up in the chair, take the picture. And as they're leaving, the dad's thanking me and, you know, really appreciate that. And I said, anytime. And just before he crosses a threshold of the door, he turns around again and says, hey, by the way, when he's out in the driveway and playing street hockey, 
he does you. And I said, huh? He does me. He says, yeah. Yeah. He says, when he scores goals, he announces them like you. Yeah. And I just stood there and, and he, and I said, thank you. He left. And I just stood there with the hair on my arms standing up. Like I couldn't, and that's when it really hit me. What responsibility came with this job that Mm -hmm. I'm not just a guy who announces goals and penalties. I am a small cog in the big wheel. That is the experience that someone has at a game or even watching it on TV. And even more so that it's the Maple Leafs and and the stage that, that, that we're on. Right. So, um, and, and that all of a sudden it connected my, my adult life with my child life as a fan and thinking about Paul Morris, yeah. what, he, what, what that sound meant to me as a kid yeah. and as an audiophile yeah. and someone who loves radio and, and broadcasting, like it just suddenly brought a whole bunch of different worlds together for me. And I, I, I understood. Yeah. No, and every every Canadian kid knows that feeling who played yeah. road hockey, eh? Yep. Scoring the big goal, running around the back of the net with your head stick up and, you know. <laughs> you're Dan Kelly or, your, or your, whatever. you're Bob Cole or exactly. you're, the, you're the local radio announcer, you know. Yeah, you're Joe Bowen, yeah. you're Dean Brown. It's you're indelibly in imprinted in your brain. Yeah, exactly. That sound, it's very visceral. Yep. Wow, that's... Uh, I, I completely understand, uh, yeah, what the what the dad was saying about that. That is so true. That's uh, you become such a big part of the fabric of hockey in every way, especially for for kids who are seeing it for the first time and hearing it for the first time. And then uh, to, that, that's incredible to tie it back into to what we're going through now with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So back in March, when when we were told that's it, we're we're on pause. We're not sure when we're coming back. Um. I followed the lead of the announcer in Vancouver. I started doing like goal calls for fans. Just oh short, yeah, I've seen I've seen your and, YouTube video where you're talking. Yeah, and it, it really, honestly, started as one video for one kid who was having a birthday and couldn't have a party, couldn't have his friends over. Yeah, and it just took off from there. Uh, and as a matter of fact, just today I did two more. Um, but I did almost, I, I think I'm now up to almost 1300 of those videos. Yeah. Fans. So the video you, you shot where you were flipping through those little, uh, Hillaroy, uh, yep. uh, uh, notebooks where you yep. were like, this is, I don't know how many of those you'd gone through, but it was just full of notes for, for all the names of the people who wanted goals called for them and, and that kind of thing. And so you've done sort of, how many have you done total now? Almost 1300. Wow. Yeah. And, you're, and, uh, you're, you're a bit of a workhorse, aren't you? You're always busy. Like this isn't something you, you need to be <laughs> spending your time on. I mean, it's amazing, but, but I mean, that, like that's an added duty or whatever, but that's, well, it, that's pretty amazing. It, it was, it was a lot of work and I can't tell you how many times I had to beg for people to be patient with me because I mean, mm-hmm. I was still doing my radio shows in the morning. Yeah. And then I would spend an hour and a half to two hours a day knocking off these videos. It takes a lot of time to do that. It does. It does. And, and 
I did it. The, there were two reasons that I wanted to do it. Number one, people were asking for it, but you could tell that people needed that connection to hockey. Yeah. And, and it was, it was nice to be able to, to do that for people. And the generosity that people showed uh, towards charities and in donating in honor of those calls was just mind blowing. Yeah. Like our, our foundation, Maple Leaf sports and entertainment foundation actually sent me a note and said, we had no idea you were doing this. I said, well, it just sort of happened. They said, well, Mm -hmm. we've, we've been getting like a huge uptick in donations and They've all got notes saying that something about you and the goal that you did for them. And <laughs> yeah. so it just, it, it, it exploded and where, you know, the guys in other cities in the NHL were telling me that they'd done, you know, a hundred of these or 200 of these, mm-hmm. you know, pretty soon we were almost up to 1300 and, yeah. and, and the, the other thing, fans, that's right. But then again, the other thing that that just would blow my mind is when parents would send me a video of their kid hearing the Leafs announcer announce them scoring a goal assisted by Marlon <laughs> Matthews. And, squeal. Oh, my goodness. Like jumping squeal up of off delight. the couch. And yeah. um, one guy took it out to on his iPad. He took it out to the driveway where the kids were playing hockey and basically set it up. So after they scored, he said, Hey, check this out. And he played it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, those reactions. I mean, it just, it brought me back to that, that dad and, and the little kid in our booth. Yeah. And uh, it, it, that just sort of reminds you again of the, the tremendous responsibility that comes with the job. Yeah. Well, and good for you for doing that. I think, you know, the amazing thing about that is we touched on this a bit is that, when the pandemic and the, the shutdown hit, all of a sudden, you know, our liberties are curtailed for a while. We're staying at home. Lots of people sinking into depression. What we've always had is sports at every at other turn in life when we've hit hard times. We've had sports and, and arts to distract us, to, to, to make us feel better, to make us feel like something is still there that's 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 a touchstone that we can, that feels comfortable. And then when sports goes away and you don't even have that anymore – um, that's a big hole. It's mm-hmm. a big hole. And it makes it hard to get through times like this, especially if you're already dealing with some depression and, uh, uh, you know, and difficulties. So for people to still have, like you said, that, that touchstone, that, 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 you know, they can reach out and still feel hockey in some kind of way or still get a taste of it. Um, that's a, that's a huge gift. So good for you for doing that. It's pretty amazing. Thank you. That wraps up episode 13, part one. Tune in for more with the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mike Ross, in episode 13, part two. Thanks again to Jerry Stamp, who wrote and performed the Cool Story theme song and all other jingles and stings that appear on the show. Do yourselves a favor and look for Jerry's music wherever you stream. And finally, thank you for listening. Until next time, Pura Vida. Everybody's got a story What's yours?